All right, well, hey, good morning. If you haven't met me, my name is Mark. I'm the executive pastor here at the, the Grove, and I'm, I'm really excited to be with you. It, uh, I've been here on Sundays, and I've been able to watch a little bit, but um, I'm excited to get to participate this morning, and especially this passage in this section of uh, 1 Thessalonians is just, is just so crazy powerful and has uh, meant a lot to me as I've uh, tried to prepare how to communicate it and, and talk about it this morning. Uh, one thing I want to make sure you know, uh, at the end of the service today, Charlie is going to lead us through communion, and so you might want to, if you haven't, uh, grab some, um, a cracker and some juice or something so you can, be, you can be ready for that. You know, as we've been working through First Thessalonians, one thing that's really important to remember is that this young church was started in, uh, in the middle of a lot of persecution. I mean, right at the beginning, uh, when these new believers began to follow Paul and his bunch, uh, they were persecuted, and um, they actually were kind of run out of town. And so we know that they were in a position of a lot of persecution. And we can assume, especially with the, the topic of today that we're really going to look at, where they're dealing with what to do with those that have, that have died. And, um, and we can make the assumption, probably, that they, there were some that had been martyred in the middle of this persecution. There was a lot of really tough stuff going on. And they were trying to deal with, hey, we've, we've chosen to follow this Jesus and now, you know, people are, are dying around us and are giving up their lives for this truth. And now, now what do we do with that? And, you know, death is, is something, right? Death and taxes, those are the things that we, we're all going to deal with or have dealt with. We've all had our experiences. I've, I've told you before, for me, I've, I've had my share. And April is just a, a really difficult month for me. Because um, on Good Friday, nearly 20 years ago, I had a, a good friend that passed away in a drowning accident. And, um, and so April just is always one of those times that I reflect on that. I'm reminded of it, all of the things that have to do with Easter. While I want to celebrate, at the same time, uh, there's just a bit of a sadness as I, as I try to work through that. And, um, and one of the big things that has, has helped me is uh, something that happened right after that event. I, uh, I was at my house, and this guy that had passed away, he was a football player, and not nearly the whole football team, it seems like, was, was at our house. And, and we were all just, just weeping. I, uh, I remember at, at this point having, having cried so much that I didn't know if I had any, any tears left. And, um, and this defensive uh, end, who uh, he ended up going to play in the NFL, he was a huge guy. He showed up, had a big gold tooth on the front, and uh, and I remember he walked into the room, and he pretty much just filled up the whole door frame, right? And uh, and he said something to us that has stuck with me and really changed my perspective. It was it was just a bit of knowledge that I, I was looking at the situation incor- incorrectly. And when he gave me that, that bit of knowledge, it, it brought life to me. And what he said, I, I was, at that moment, I was belly aching about how uh, I had tried to save him and that I, was, uh, I didn't have sufficient strength or uh, training or if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that. And this guy just spoke up with his big booming voice and said, hey, why don't y'all just be quiet? He said, if God uh, let his own son die on the cross, 
when he could have easily saved him, but he let him die on the cross for a purpose, then that guy could have just as easily saved our friend from the water. And I realized that there was a point there that my God was big enough to do what my God wanted to do. And in this circumstance, he had allowed my friend to die. And and I was making all the attention about me, but there was something much bigger going on. And that new information brought life to me. And it has continued to be something that I rehearse. And so as we look at, at this section in, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 13 to verse 18. And I'll just start out just reading it, but I'll just tell you, I mean, I read slow anyway, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read really slow and I ask you to just to, to track with me because each one of these words is powerful. We'll go back through it a bit, but just, just listen to, to what Paul says here. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This last sentence, uh, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I believe that God wants to really encourage us in a, in a dark time right now. I think there's something here he has to say to us, and not just to say this morning, but that we would, we would encourage. There's one of those one another's that I like so much that we would encourage one another with these words. And if you look at the beginning of it, he says that we don't want you to be uninformed. That there's some information that we may not have that this passage is going to it's going to give us. One of the things that's happened is we've been on this quarantine that, uh, that I'm really happy about. We have kind of uh, revi- or brought back into our family uh, a sport that's really my favorite sport. But, you know, we've got some teenagers and then we've got some uh, five-year-old twins. And uh, when the twins came along, I just stopped playing frisbee golf, disc golf. We just didn't seem to have enough time and, and they couldn't go with. And so it, it just kind of died. And uh, it's kind of just, you know, we've been out and about, and we decided to play some disc golf. And so we did that. And Jack, my uh, five-year-old boy twin, he came along with uh, Brennan and I to play. And what's interesting to me is he did the exact same thing. When I first started playing, I, Caleb was about that age, and, uh, and then Brennan. And all three of them had the same response when they were small. You know, you, we start to play, and you're throwing your Frisbee, and, uh, and you know, Dad and the other big guys would throw and then he would throw, and then we would walk up, and he would throw again, and we'd walk up, and he would throw again, and he would throw multiple, multiple times, you know. And then we get close to the basket, then, then man, he's like rushing to throw his in the, in the basket. And as soon as his disc is in the basket, he's like, I won. I won. I, I got this. And, you know, which obviously the goal of ball golf, frisbee golf, you know, it's, it's how few of time, but he doesn't understand that. In his mind, it's who can get there the quickest. 
And, you know, being the great dad that I am, I didn't, I'm not going to, like, uh, try to teach him about etiquette and strategy at five. And it's also kind of works along with what we're trying to do because he thinks he's, he's happy all day. He is losing horribly. His 12 shots to our three, but he's, he's happy. He is blissfully ignorant of the goal of the game. And I feel like when uh, Paul says this to these Thessalonians, and really there's some things in here, you guys, for a lot of us, that we're tragically ignorant. That when we think about death, when we uh, attend the funeral of somebody that we loved, I had somebody just this weekend that passed away, that uh, man, a, a man of God who was a mentor of mine that, that passed away. And the way that we look at that and the way that we grieve, I think sometimes we, it's tragically ignorant, the way that we view it. Because if you look at it, he says that these these believers who have passed away, that they are asleep. So that would tell us that Christ's followers may sleep, but they never die. They may sleep, but they never die. Look back at it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He doesn't say those who are, who are dead. He, he says it two more times. He says those who are asleep. With that, <laughs> the idea of sleep instead of death, would it change the way I feel about my friend's passing? I mean, I, I thought about it like this, you know, a, uh, when a battery, you know, death is kind of this, this word that just means the end. And when a battery dies, then it's, it's dead. But man, when you've got a rechargeable battery, then you see that death as something that's for a time, but that battery will recover. I thought about it. We've got, uh, you know, a few different vehicles and, and we've got one that's on liability only coverage uh, with our insurance, right? So if that car got stolen, it would be done. I, I, I feel differently about that than the car that has full coverage that if it got stolen, I would get compensated for that. Is it different if we look at the death of someone we love as a period or if we see it as a, as a comma? Paul is saying, hey, you guys, these, these folks that have passed away, they're, they're asleep. And this is not a random idea. It would, we might be tempted to think, well, man, Paul just brought this out of somewhere and he's saying it and it doesn't, it doesn't really play with the rest of Scripture. The only thing is Jesus said this multiple times. And in fact, the example is even of Jesus. If you look back, he says uh, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the example of this sleep and coming back to life, he says, for since we believe that Jesus died, but then it, it wasn't over. There wasn't a period. No, he he rose again. This is the example of what it looks like. And he will also bring with him those who have fallen asleep in the same way. That there's a, a, a time, but then they're not, they're not, it's not over. Also, in the life of Jesus, we've got several stories where, where Jesus uses this term and he talks about those who are dead. He, he brings them back to life and he talks about those people as though they were asleep. One of those examples is in is in Matthew chapter 9. And uh, there's this ruler of the synagogue na named Jairus. 
and he's got a sick uh, little girl, a little 12-year-old girl, his only daughter. We get the account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, um, and this, this guy, Jairus, he asked Jesus to come and heal her. And as Jesus follows on the way, they get the report that they might as well just leave it alone because it's too late. The girl has, has already passed away. And Jesus responds to this news by saying to the grieving father, Do not fear. Only believe. I just, I, I thought about that. This is a, a strong word I think that Jesus would give to us right now. Do not fear. Only believe. And then, uh, the, I've got the passage here for you, Matthew nine twenty three to 26. It says, when, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and he saw the, fruit, the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, which in one of the other Gospels, it, it describes this making a commotion as they were, they were weeping. There was a group, and they were weeping and wailing. And he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They're like, Can you, do you not understand how, how this thing works? Like she, she doesn't have a heartbeat. She doesn't have a pulse. The girl is, is dead. This is, this is a hard time. Don't, don't make light of it and come in here and say that she's only sleeping. No, she's not sleeping. You must not understand what's going on here. And they heckled him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went and took her by the hand. And he said, and this is in another gospel, he said, Arise, little girl. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through the whole district. You see, Jesus is living in a different paradigm where death is not final. And Jesus has this power to call this little girl back to life. And we're going to see in a second in the, li- in, uh, the story of Lazarus, in the same way, four days later, he, he calls him back to life. You see, Jesus speaks this power of life and he can bring people back from the dead. We also see that Christ's followers will grieve But the grief of a Christ follower is very different than those who do not follow him. If you look back in the passage, he says, uh, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. That you may not grieve as those who have no hope. The funeral of a believer in Jesus who is connected to the resurrection power of Jesus, looks very different. Now by that, I don't mean that, that there's no grieving. Obviously, even the passage says, doesn't, it assumes there's going to be some grieving, but it's a, it's, a different, it's a different kind of grieving. It's, uh, it's not like there's no grief, it's, but it's, it's more like a, a, a see you later and not this, this final goodbye. Because we have this hope of what's to come. It's not an end. So the, the other example from the life of Jesus in, in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. This guy is, is no stranger to Jesus, and he's the brother of, of Mary and Martha. And the sisters send word to Jesus. And they say, the, the one you love is ill. And Jesus responds with, this won't end in death. It is for the glory of God. We're told that Jesus was really close to this family. And then two days later, he told his disciples in uh, John chapter 11, 
verse 11, that he, that he wanted to go see them. And he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They don't quite get it. I mean, if he's just sleeping, he's going he's gonna to wake up again. There's no need to go there, and it was a dangerous place for them to go. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant just taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He gives us a clear picture of what this idea of sleep is. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. There was a reason. But let us go to him. So by the time Jesus arrived, at Lazarus, uh, arrived, Lazarus had been dead four days. And a lot of people had come out to console the grieving family. Martha ran out to meet Jesus and she said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says in response to her, your, bro- your brother will rise. Then in, in verse, uh, verse 25, he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. They have hope. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Now I'm going to read that again because I, I want to make sure that we hear this. This is what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her directly, do you believe this? Mary also comes out to Jesus and says basically the same thing. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And in verse 33, Jesus says, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then the, the verse 35, the, you know, Uh, the memory verse that everybody wants to get down, uh, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? So Jesus was definitely grieving with these folks. There's been a lot of interpretations of why uh, Jesus wept, knowing that he was fixing to bring him back from the dead. At the very least, his friends are hurting and have been hurting for several days, and he hurts with them in in this moment of grief. It says, when Jesus arrived at the tomb, he, he told them to roll away the stone from the entrance. And Martha warned him, hey, he's been dead four days. There's going to be an odor. But Jesus insisted after praying, and he simply said, Lazarus, come out. And the man appeared still covered in his burial clothes. He just said, Lazarus, come out. You know, I've, I've, I've heard this said, and I, I, I think that it's, it's got to be true that he says Lazarus' name because if he hadn't specified who was going to come back from the dead, that, you know, all of the graves might have popped open and all those who believed would, would start to, uh, would, would come out in their, in their burial claws. Lazarus come out, and he, and he, 
and he rises from the dead. And there's something else about this. You know, this passage says that these believers will, you know, they will rise from the dead. And you might be tempted. I know there's a part of me that is a man. Well, but that, you know, that person died a long time ago, or this person died a long time ago, or that person, you know, has been eaten by a fish. He was eaten by a fish. He was eaten by a fish. What does that look like? And in the whole picture of what God is doing, this is, this is miraculous. Even four days later, is, you think he was still thinking after that two weeks later? He was completely restored. God does something amazing. He brings him back from the dead because Jesus is, isn't about death. He's about life. And then we also see Christ's followers may feel lonely But they're never alone. If you look back in the passage, it goes on from there to say, For we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of, the, of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet, it must be loud. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And at this point, he says, he, there's a cry of command, a voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, those who are asleep, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We will always be with the Lord. A few uh, chapters after this Lazarus account, you've got the disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. And uh, Judas has just made his departure to, you know, to go and, and do his betrayal. And uh, Jesus makes his followers this promise. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, uh, if it were not so, would I have not told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus makes this promise that he is preparing a place and he's coming again, this description that we have in, in, um, in 1 Thessalonians. And that he's coming to prepare a place, he's prepared a place and he's coming again that where I am, you will be also. This picture of, of this Jesus who uh, he died and rose again, he also gives resurrection life to those who believe in him that we can be with him. If uh, you want to study some more on this, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15, it just kept on coming up to mind as I was going through this study. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is not a period for those who follow Jesus. We are, they are sleeping. We don't, we don't grieve as those who see it as an end, we, we grieve the loss and the, the separation from somebody that we love. 
that they, there's a period that they won't get to be a part of our life, but it's not over. It's a see you later. And we're never alone. Jesus is with us. I hope, I hope that truth, that, that knowledge encourages you the way that it encourages me because I've noticed this last, you know, nearly 20 years, like I said, in, in trying to digest and deal with the loss of this friend that I, I'm tempted to always look back, to look back on, on who he was, on, on the time that I got to spend with him. He was, he was this incredible follower of Christ, and it, it, it encouraged me to be with him. And he smiled a lot, and that, that brought a lot of joy to me. He, uh, he <laughs> I may have told you this before, but he made these little flags that he would just go out by himself and play worship songs and just and just dance before the Lord because he just enjoyed doing that. He didn't really want anybody to watch him. He just wanted to spend time with Jesus. And, you know, I, I'm tempted to look back at those sorts of things in those sweet moments and to miss and to regret and uh, to my heart to hurt. And I'm very rarely ever thinking about that, there's a future. I'm, I'm rarely looking ahead. And this promise that my friend is not, a, is, is not dead, it's not over, but he's sleeping. And there's this, there's this promise. There's this promise of future life, of knowing him and being with him again. But I also notice here that this promise is not for everyone. Because if you look, it, it does say um, those who are in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. The ones who have hope are those who believe, those who are, who are in Christ. And I know that's a really hard uh, truth, but if we're going to talk about the fullness of what this means, it, it is a truth that there are those who are believed that are connected to him by faith and they have that resurrection power. And then those, there are those who are, are not connected to that, who have not believed, who are not in Christ. I know it's really different from your, uh, from your living room this morning, but um, I just want to challenge us as we sing these songs that we sing in that kind of celebration is those who are connected to this, to this Christ Jesus who can simply say a name, who can tell a little girl to, to rise and she stands up, who more than that can call out and the dead in Christ can, can rise. A Savior who is not dead. You know, I think about those on the planet today that, that have no hope who the one that they follow is, is dead. But our Savior, our Jesus, is not dead. And those who follow him will not die. As we sing these songs, as we take communion this morning, man, I hope and believe that that's the thing that we can celebrate together. No matter if we're in one room together, if we're spread across northwest Arkansas, <laughs> we can sing together and worship our mighty God who is alive.
Let me pray for us.